Well, hey there, hi there. We're recording on a Tuesday now, at least for the month of February. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Generation Tech. And my recording partner is my dad, Jack Brinker. How are you today? I'm just fine, Todd. Good to hear your voice. Likewise, likewise. Seems like we missed a week, didn't it? Um, no, we recorded last week, but we recorded we recorded on um, on Monday last week, uh, which was our previous. We usually record on Mondays, but I, I coach swimming and I'm doing morning practices right now, and it's difficult for me to get back in time for us to record it at our normal time. So we're recording a little later. And then the recording later pushed you into something that you had on Monday afternoons. And so we said, well, let's just move it to Tuesday. So that's the plan, at least through the end of the month. And then we'll be able to switch back to our regular time and, and date because, uh, or day of the week because I will then go to after afternoon practices once the – Be flexible, right? Yeah, the pool availability. That's the problem here. In Southern California, there's so many water polo and swim teams that every pool is booked – from pretty much sun up until sundown, and then and then some. You know, there's pool lights and stuff. And uh, you know, I uh, right now my option is either morning practice before before school or practice like eight to ten at night. And I chose morning over eight to ten at night. And then we'll um, uh, go back to uh, after school practice when the pool becomes available in March, which I can hardly wait for. So, oh, this is interesting. It's not on our run-up, but uh, I'll share it with you real quick here. There's an article about the fact that um, technology to make uh, the the blades that spin on uh, drones quieter is yeah. So you don't hear the drone come flying over. You don't hear that sound because that's not really from the motors. That's from the little fan. That's from the the propeller blades pushing air is what's making that noise. And uh, same thing with helicopters for that matter. Um, and so that same technology is now being used for uh, the muffin fans inside of computers to make them quieter. Ah, sure. Yep. So they've got different shaped uh, blades to make quieter fans. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. It was just somebody decided that when they first built the fans that they just wanted to optimize probably the airflow, right? Yeah, yeah. Initially, it was like, how much air can we move, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. in the process of doing that, they they hadn't thought about the fact that somebody's got to listen to this whirring going on. Right. Well, and especially if you have a, a computer in a recording area like, like, you know, my little studio here, my office, you know, that, that noise, it gets picked up by mics. So then you've got to, like, you know, block it and, and do everything you can to, to cover up for the noise of this fan that's blowing in the background. Um, well, so you have this constant well, base level of noise in the room. Now it wasn't wasn't it the Tyson fan? I don't know if that's the brand, but the, that, they, they have a totally different one, which is just a bladeless fan. Well, that's not entirely yeah, that's not entirely true. You just don't see the blades. They take right. the the blades from down inside the base and then blow it out in basically a um, uh, kind of an oval shape. The idea being that um, that if you spread the air. In a, if you directionally use the air and move it in in one area, that it will then 
just through friction, move more air with it. It'll pick up more air and move more air than the fans alone. And so that's yeah. sort of their philosophy. And they sell... But, uh, by, but by having the blades and all that enclosed, they did also reduce noise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to worry about any noise that the air makes that is being pressed out through these uh, vents. But yeah, you're right. They took the noise of the fan and put it inside of an enclosure that uh, ostensibly makes it a quieter fan. Um, I don't have one because they're really, really expensive, but my daughter got a really good deal on one and she has one that's both a fan and a heater and uh, in her apartment and she lives in Northern California and she says that it's, it's very efficient and really helps in the, in the, um, in the summer. She's able to take the room that has the air conditioner. She's in a small duplex type place and and take you know set the uh, the fan in the doorway basically and blow the cool air from that room into the rest of the uh the house and in the in the winter she just turns it on to heat and then it sits there in that same doorway and moves heat between the two rooms and keeps the place warm and comfortable and so it really works well for her and it's very quiet anyway i i apologize i think i said the wrong name it's dyson isn't yeah, it yeah yes it is dyson yeah Dyson yeah. is the uh, the name of the gentleman who owns, or I don't know if he owns the company, but he, he founded the company, and it's uh, he's a, a Engli- Engli- English inventor. Uh, he, he makes uh, he, he first first found fame in making vacuum cleaners, and so if you've ever seen the Dyson, I had a Dyson vacuum cleaner, and it worked relatively well. I don't know that it was exceptional compared to uh, some of the ones that we had had previous. But well, it, his his focus though was still quieter, right? Well, it was quieter. His major thing was that it wouldn't clog, so he had designed one that would keep the air coming in. But as it started to fill up with debris, it wouldn't like lose suction because the filters were getting clogged. As you know, the bag was getting clogged. So he created a bagless um, uh, uh, vacuum cleaner that had like a vortex, created a, an air vortex inside that kept the um, the uh, suction up that was his big thing and yep. um and of course a lot of people looked at that and went oh we could do that too and so there's tons of bagless vortex vacuum cleaners out there now made by all of the traditional vacuum companies and so um you know you have to pay a premium for one of his i will say that that uh length of usable life lifespan of the device for me did not turn out to be that great uh, everything on the device is made out of plastic. Now I understand that you can buy parts and pieces and basically rebuild it, but it was just it was expensive, and I was not overwhelmed with the quality of the product when I had the one that I had. Um, so I actually the vacuum that I have now we have hard floors, so we don't do a whole lot of vacuuming per se because we you know sweep and mop instead because it's hard floor surfaces. But the um, I have one a stick vacuum, and I bought it specifically because it runs off of the same batteries that I use for all of my power tools. And so I have one battery that works for uh, power tools. It works for uh, a variety of uh, fans that I have. It works for the vacuum cleaner. It works for some of the yard tools in the backyard, blowers and weed eaters, and I've even got an electric lawnmower that runs off the same set of batteries. And so I have a half dozen or so of those batteries sitting on chargers ready to go at any time. And I can grab a fresh battery and then go run any one of those things. And uh, I, makes me happy. I, I, I'm going to uh, 
take this thing and uh, go out and hand a copy of it to the guys who make all this noise with their stupid blowers out front. We we have those pine oh. needle pine needle. Uh, uh, yeah, in your flower beds, they put they, they put down stuff, and so they're always trying to get the pine needles to pile up and stack up and get them out of the grass, you know. Right. And uh, I get so annoyed because they're about the loudest darn things when, when they get in the neighborhood. You know, you yeah. can't even yourself think in the house. A lot of that though is not necessarily from the the blower. Actually, it's from the gas engine that they've got strapped to their back, that that yeah. uh, you know is not well muffled. Um, you know, in California, they've got a lot of laws restricting those now. And in fact, I think they've required that they go to um, electric ones in some instances so that they're not running the gas. It's They don't want the fumes. They don't want the noise. Uh, yeah. You know, I will say that my, my, my battery-powered blower, I've got two of them, one kind of more of a small shop blower that actually puts out a higher, uh, higher velocity of air but probably lower volume of air. Um, but uh, they're kind of noisy, even with the batteries, you know, just because they're moving so much air and they've got to spin a motor pretty fast to get that kind of air movement. Um, but I'll also say that when I usually am doing yard work, I almost invariably have my AirPods Pro in and noise canceling on. And one thing they're exceptionally good at is blocking out a consistent loud sound. So the consistent loud sound of the blower is muted almost yeah. completely. So I don't mind that. But anyway, I thought it was interesting that they're that they're using, uh, you know, technology for, for designed for helicopters and spy drones to make quieter propellers. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it's always interesting to think about technology and and uh, mm-hmm. how we uh, when you hear about something and you're annoyed by something else, you know, you say, well, right. maybe this can solve that problem. Exactly. <laughs> Take something that was developed for one thing and say, well, how does that apply to this? You know, this has blades on it too, right? Now, I was going to tell you, it just, just recently, I guess a couple of days ago, it was kind of in the news that I, I think it was California again, was going to ban uh, uh, gas ranges, uh, uh, I don't know if it's propane or natural gas or whatever it is. Yeah, it wasn't but, just California. There was actually a nationwide thing. In fact, the federal government had said they were looking into that. And then they very quickly came out and went, no, no, no. What we meant was we're looking at ways to just make them safer. Because apparently there's been statistics showing that gas ranges in houses uh, have direct links to homes that have more problems with asthma and children. Yeah. Because well, they, they off-gas. But but those people can can be told that and they can get you know maybe uh, be happy to uh, change. But for those people who don't like electric uh, uh, stove options, right? Uh, you know now of course the alternative they were pr- pushing wasn't electric. It was the uh, uh, I forgot what they call it, but it's induction. Uh, but those are electric too. Induction, which. By the way, they lied about a lot because yeah. th- that that induction stuff actually puts off radiation way beyond any of these things. Remember, what, it was a scare about iPhones when you had, first came out. You can't. I'm not going to hold this thing by my ear. It's going to fry my brain, right? Right. Which was a bunch of nonsense. But induction has that potential because it is that's that's a much high higher power. energy, right? Yeah. Well, and but induction is electric. Electric. I mean, it's it's it works yeah. the same way. It's electromagnetic, but it's you're right. It, it puts out a field 
that then anything metal is is going to react with, uh, you know, significantly. It's going to heat up. That's why it cooks. And in fact, you can only cook with certain pans because uh, was it an aluminum pan doesn't heat up. That's right. So, so anyway, I I, I think we our governments mm-hmm. are getting involved at too too uh, low a level of things. Uh, yeah, don't that, tell me that, what the solution has to be. Tell me what the problem is, and 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 legislate the problem. Let industry find solutions. That's what they're yeah. good at. You know. If there's li- really a problem, and and the fact of the matter is, is that gas stoves have been, uh, you know, they're better and better over the years. Obviously, if you have a very old one with like a pilot light and stuff, then you do run the risk of of off gassing because you're burning a flame all the time in the house. Uh, but newer ones are all electronic start anyway, so there's like there's no gas; it's shut off. You're not burning anything in the house. Well, that, that, and I'd like to see that compared to burning a candle. You know, are they going to are they going to outlaw candles? On the TV ad, they they uh, really pushed a debunked thing about gas leaking out of uh, regular burners and to turn on and off. That was mm-hmm. years ago. That's been right. solved a long time ago. And, of course, yeah. they didn't admit that. Right. You know, well, pushing, I mean, there the, on your stove, the valve that turns on and off the uh, gas that goes to your burner is not right at the burner. It's back away. So when you shut it off, it does. Sh- there is a, a small amount of gas that comes out. It's very small. If you have a proper venting in your house, and that's the the primary thing that they've talked about is yeah. if you have a, you know the proper and legally required venting over your stove, then you're not going to have a problem. You know, it's yes. it's just not a problem. Well, um, my objection to these things is that people that get turned on to something like that. They'll lie and not even care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're pushing up an ideologue. You know, they're just yeah. flat out against you, and they're going to hate you if you don't listen to them because they're right. Yeah. Well, and go to any professional kitchen anywhere ever. They cook over fire. It's a gas yeah. stove. And that's what, you know, people who care about cooking at home cook on gas stoves. It's, yeah. just, it's you know, you can look at it and see how hot it's going to be. You're right. not guessing it. Like, did I set the knob at the right place? And how much is it going to heat up? And, you know, it's just, it's it's much more direct control over what you want. Um, and, and but, you know, I mean, it, I'm all for saying, hey, if there's better ways to make it even better and safer, then do it. Where, you know, oh, whether, yeah. whether oh, it yeah. be the, the stove or the oven or the dishwasher or any other item that we use in our house, you know. Um, I mean, we've got, you know, a lot of people have gas clothes dryers as well you know yep but but i don't want any government mandates that i gotta change over by by their arbitrary date right yeah yeah well and don't don't say this technology is now banned you know what you say is here's the emission standard now meet that whether you want to do it by using electricity or gas or whatever you know meet that Well, I, I don't even know know that that's uh, a power that they should have. Well, Not I think the emission standard has to be based on safety. I think that that is a proper role of the government to say the you know if if we don't set this standard, they just put it in there and it's inventing you know, gas into your house all the time. That's not safe. So you can't do that. You have to have some standard. You know now where that standard is can be debated. Yeah. You know, but I think they have a a proper role to say. You know, we want things to be safe in a home. 
Uh, you know, my concern is not the uh, the average middle class home. It's the average lower income home that says, okay, hey, we just moved up and got our first house or we're renting a house and everything in here is, you know, old, but it still works, right? So I don't have to go to the laundromat anymore. I've got a washer and dryer in my house, but it's a 20-year-old washer and dryer. How old, you know, how much do those off vent, you know, or a 30-year-old washer and dryer? Well, you see... uh I don't believe the government should ever be in the business of telling you you have to spend money for something that's essential and what you've got works. So it, the price comes into this also. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, but they and, should there, there should be a new stuff has to meet a certain standard of safety and and perhaps uh, you know, a recommendation or at least information about, hey, old stuff, here's a way to test and see whether it's meeting safety standards, right? You know, you should be able to buy a kit or have the government send you a kit that you can set out and check the air quality and say, hey, you know, I'm fine. Or wait a minute. Hey, my house does have a lot of insert bad stuff here, right? I mean, for that matter, you know, anybody who's ever bought new carpet or new furniture, that smell, that, that new smell, that's yep, off-gassing. <laughs> yeah, that's off-gassing stuff. It's not more noticeable in a new car. Right. Some people, in fact, like that smell so well, they buy cans of it and spray it in the air so they can breathe more of it. Right. Well, and it, well, that's usually a, a, a fake version of it, but but um, that's probably safer than the original new car smell because you know that's all the chemical smell coming off of all the the rubbers and plastics and stuff that go inside your vehicle. Yep. You know, in a closed-in space. <laughs> you know, yeah, if you buy a car in the winter, it could be toxic. Yeah. You know, in the summer, you can put the window down. Yeah. So, <laughs> in the summer, you make that house gassing worse where the car gets 150 degrees inside, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cooking it up. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I say put the window down, but who does that anymore, right? They turn on the air conditioner. Nobody puts the window down. That's That's right. crazy talk. <laughs> anyway. yeah. this it's it's just fascinating isn't it the, all the different areas of technology like yeah. airflow and all the aspects of making it move mm -hmm. uh, to do the job but, but at the same time don't you know mess with my ears and <laughs> right yeah so, but the, i always thought that was a neat thing about engineering was the trade-off mm -hmm. included so many different things it wasn't just the primary reason for why you had the the, the item it had to do with everything else surrounding it too sure know? yeah so, yeah well and it's interesting too you know because i mean airflow it's essentially fluid dynamics right and, right. you know, as a coach of a swim team, I have some interest in, you know, moving through fluids or, or how to, you know, to to function in a in a fluid environment. And we don't think of air as a fluid, but but the behaviors are the same. Right. The air pressure changes based on stuff moving through the air. Um, and it certainly flow. Well, yeah. thank goodness. A hurricane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or somebody on a 115-degree day. <laughs> it's like, please, flow this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that was a throw-in that wasn't even part of our lineup, but I just happened to see it right before uh, uh, we started talking about other stuff, and so I shared the thing about the 
the uh, drone propellers. It's interesting, too, because they basically, it's on a, a website, the article's on a website called Hackaday, and they're talking about people going and uh, printing these, 3D printing these different fan blades and testing them. And so, yeah, you know, it's... It's Just as well say that the title of the article was Spy Drone Propeller Makes for a Quiet PC. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that, they, you know, this is basically a, uh, uh, a DIY type project. If you've got access to a 3D printer, you can print print up different blades and see what they do and how they yeah. change the airflow and the sound, both um, coming off of your little uh, muffin fans. <laughs> pictures of the two fans sitting side by side they are radically different oh yeah yeah what's interesting is they talk about you know sound they don't talk about airflow right yeah. so so how you know to get it quieter you know there's always a trade-off right and, oh, and yeah. so it's like well which one is more important to you uh because higher airflow can also mean that you can run it slower because it's pushing more air which then might actually make you know to, if you equivalent if you make it at equivalent airflows, the the one blade might actually be quieter because it's running much slower in order to push that air out. So one of the things right. I noticed about like uh, people have commented with some of the the uh, Apple Silicon based Macs that have fans in them is that it's hard to get the fan to blow hard enough that you can even tell that the fan is spinning um, because the CPUs are. are are um, not as hot as the previous generation or the Intel-based CPUs were. But part of that, too, is they've designed fans to A, be quiet, and B, uh, or B, move a lot of air so they don't have to spin them very fast. And so they're, so they're just not making much noise, which in turn makes them more quiet. So, yeah, it's, you're right. But that's an interesting engineering problem, right? It's like, which is better, a, a, a very efficient fan that moves a lot of air that I can spin slowly or yeah. one that, I, that that is natively less loud, but I have to spin it faster. By the way, the engineer in me, when I see comparisons of two designs like this, uh -huh. is I just crave looking at a, uh, a graph of performance, uh, where how does it perform in terms of uh, airflow versus noise. Yeah, decibels uh, versus airflow, right? Yeah, I, I'm look, with you. I want data. This look, is an interesting I, article, but all they do is tease me. They make my mouth water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, let me know what happened. What, what, what did you find out? Right. So, and necessary that, that's, you know, as part of the trade-off, there be a yet another parameter, make it a 3D trajectory so that I can look at this thing and make selection decisions uh, you know, as somebody who needs a fan to do something for me mm -hmm. and, and the consequences, you know, of making that choice. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, I know that when you go to buy exhaust fans, one of the um, criteria that is available to you, uh, and these are just factory-made ones, is the, the, sound, the, the sound level coming from the device when it's spinning. Uh -huh. And so, um, like, I at one point in time had set up in my in my studio here a small cabinet where i had all of my gear and i put a uh, a fan on the top exhaust fan that was built into it actually but i replaced the ones that came with it with ones that i had purchased that were significantly quieter because used to be i would come in here and turn that on and i'd hear this going on in the background and it was like that's not acceptable um, you know, so there was like, well, how do I block that sound? And finally I just said, you know what? I know how to block the sound. Take the fan out 
Um, uh, and so I removed the the two fans that were in there. I replaced the two with one fan because they were on the top of the cabinet. So uh, uh, in, induction was working, or convection rather, was working uh you know, in my favor is all the heat was coming up anyway. So all I needed was one fan to sort of help it. And I found one that moved a fair amount of air, but was significantly quieter. I eventually decided I didn't need the cabinet at all. That why was I constraining all of my heat to a cabinet when I'm sitting in a small room? If I take the cabinet (laughs) away, I can just set the computer out here and keep the room comfortable. And that, and then I didn't need the cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's where I am now. And the cabinet is now sitting actually outside the shack waiting for me to decide what I want to do with it. It was a $150 little rack mount type cabinet, Um, but I have no use for it anymore. So I'm tempted to just take it over to the dumpster, but I, it cost me a lot of money. So I don't know that I want to do that. (laughs) So in the meantime, it just sits while I think about it, you know? If I have to step around it or stub my toe on it semi-regularly, I'll probably make a decision more quickly and get rid of the thing. But uh, mm-hmm. but for now, it sits. So um, top of our list, guess what? Analog computing may be coming back. And I saw that article, and I thought of you because... I did a master's thesis, uh, uh, which a lot of master's programs don't require, Mm-hmm. But uh, I had chosen a problem that dealt with reentry vehicles off of missiles. Uh, and uh, we wanted to understand if you're going to use re- uh, steerable reentry vehicles, what uh, uh, the performance would look like and, uh, and whether or not they uh, could maneuver in a significant way to evade. Uh, uh, incoming fire. And so anyway, it was a fun thesis, but in order to do this job, uh, as you probably know, any study on a computer is you have to uh, simulate or build a, a software model of what it is you're studying. And uh, I say software, that's uh, only meaningful in a digital computer sense, but an analog computer is also a model of the system you're studying. And they both have different uh, capabilities. Uh, Most people have never seen an analog computer, but everyone that uh, I've had any association with are programmable in the sense that you patch together the components of the, uh, that are available in the uh, analog computer in order to model the system that you're studying. And in my case, that was the reentry vehicle that the dynamics of the reentry vehicle are very high frequency. They, as you can imagine, with the pressure of, of the air that they're flying through, uh, there's some wobble and different things, and, they're, and, they're, and the uh, surface of the reentry vehicle itself contributes to that because it ablates and pieces uh, of the surface actually melt because of the heat. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a high dynamic environment. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, I put all of the reentry vehicle characteristics in, onto my analog patch board. This was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I was fortunate that uh, at that point in time, I, I don't know if they still have it, but uh, analog computers with the quality of the one that I used and, and the amount of components that I had to use, 
uh, available to me uh, were quite high, and therefore I got to use a one of the rare Air Force analog computers. At least I was told that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were plenty of digital computers at the time, and when you hook the digital computer to the analog Ooh. computer, you do some conversions uh, from digital to analog and analog to digital, and together, if they're working uh, uh, on computations, then they call it a hybrid computer. So that's what I really worked on, was the hybrid mm-hmm. computer, is both analog and digital, mm-hmm. and they were programmed in different ways, as I mentioned, the patch board versus software. Right. So, well, and I, and I was very young at the time, like first grade-ish, but I, um, uh, first or second grade, I remember at one point in time, I got to go into the lab or something, and I remember seeing the board, you know, and you had these physical uh, circuit boards that were, you know, of course, proportions patch- are going to be off because I was young, patch board. Yeah, anyway, it looked to me like they were about two foot by two foot. Yeah, I mean, they were yeah. big. Yeah, but but about every inch was a, a plug that you could go uh, from one uh, part of the circuit to another. So mm-hmm. there were boards, and some of them were fairly large because you needed to go over to another device. But uh, an analog computer is basically made up of uh, resistors, capacitors, uh, amplifiers, uh, and things yeah. like that. Things you typically see on a circuit board, but that's just specific to whatever task it is that it was designed to do. Yeah. Now, I like this article a lot because uh, it was probably the best uh, description I've ever read of, of analog computing. Uh, it, mm-hmm. was, it was put, put at the user level. Uh, oops. I pl- p- pushed the wrong button here. And yeah. Ma- Marianne Bellotti is the is the author. And, uh, yeah, and she has a nice little chapter where she talks about what is analog computing and basically why she's talking about it potentially coming back. And, 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 she, and she says here, and I quote, in a word, well, two words, optical computing. Yes. So designing a circuit, whether you're using electronics or optics, is, is not that dissimilar. That, that's correct. Uh, because a lot of the optics, uh, well, first reason people start talking about optical computing is that it's very fast compared to uh, digital computing Mm -hmm. uh, because there's, uh, but but you don't want to be going back and forth converting any more than you have to. But the optics, the optical part of the computer has a number of capabilities, but they're not fully developed yet. So right. there really isn't such a thing as an optimal, or excuse me, as an optical computer today that right. I'm aware of. Yeah, I think there are, are optical um, uh, portions to par- like there's hybrid computers that have some um, some optical pieces to them. Um, where that's yeah, you know where are, they can pick up some efficiencies and stuff. It's interesting that she. And and connections, obviously, fiber optics. Is sure. The next part of sure. It. Uh, well, I thought it was interesting. She points out that there's two advantages. One is photons are very energy efficient compared to to running an electrical circuit, and the other one is is that they are um, neutral to each other. They don't interact, and so you could actually cross beams and uh, don't have to worry about routing around each other because a photon. 
uh, a, a, a stream of photons photons can pass through each other and not affect each other at all. Right. So, yeah. uh, but it does mean too that that um, you know you have to stacking these is is you know you have the issues of of stacking multiple depths like today's uh, circuit boards are multi-layer. And, right. and so trying to do that with photons is a little bit different. So it it you know provides some 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 problems that yet to be, have have not yet been solved at least to my knowledge. Yes. Uh she does refer to the analog technology as revisiting old approaches and mm. the primary reason for that should be obvious but I'll just state it and that is that there are things you can do with digital computers and that led to its popularity and dominance uh, that you cannot do, or at least not very easily, without very expensive and very large analog systems. So mm -hmm. from a, just a physical standpoint, analog computers are quite large compared to digitals, especially since you have co digital computers on a chip today that do, can do some amazing things. Yeah, uh, millions of transistors on a... On a you know, fingernail-sized surface. And, and this article was good in that they do give you a hotspot you can push at, open-source analog computer that you can build yourself. And if you go over there, uh, you get to see what an analog computer can look like. And uh, they don't give you any dimensions to this, but I would say it's at least one foot by a uh, foot and a half or something, I don't know, uh, a board with a meter on it and some switches mm -hmm. and some and some patch places to put patch cords in. So analog computers are physically large devices and have limited capability relative to all the modeling that you can do for a digital computer, which mm -hmm. is virtually unlimited. Uh, it's, it's difficult to do uh, complex models. Yeah. But when, but when analog computers are needed uh, because of the studies like that I did, uh, mm -hmm. Digital computers can't do near the high speed and accurate measurements uh, of uh, RV in action because yeah. here we have a high dynamic environment and you need to know how that affects the overall trajectory of the RV, which is a parameter that gets passed into the digital computer, which calculates the overall uh, flight path mm -hmm. of the uh, of the uh, RV, so I wanted yeah. to show the relationship of the in my study of the two different kinds of computing, uh, and uh, actually you could fly a, a re-entry route uh, in, in faster than real time, but uh, we didn't because uh, it's not that long to do a re-entry, and secondly you lose you lose a lot of the high dynamic data that. Uh, I was doing out of the analog computer for the reentry vehicle. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what the study was really all about. What's really going to happen is uh, the material ablates off the thing and how, how, how much does it affect the motion of the RV? And, uh, and we had some, some physics uh, data available from the people who had built the RV. So we knew uh, mm -hmm. with some degree, a pretty high degree of, uh, of how that would would perform, and from the uh, test flights uh, of people getting data back from reentry vehicles while they're actually moving, uh, 
they've confirmed that the data was good. So right. and we were working with real data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so got real results that made a difference. So. Well, I, I will say too, just to, to uh, going back to the analog computing thing briefly, the, um, you know, the analog computer, like the one that they reference here in the link, it's called Anabr- Anabrid. Uh, they're trying to create what is an analog general purpose computer, meaning that you, by creating circuits, can kind of change what it does. If you have a specific purpose designed for designs, you know, custom designed analog computer that you can then make in and mass, um, you know, then you can't reprogram it to do other things, but it does have advantages. And those have been used, you know, they're probably not referred to as analog computers so much, but, but uh, there are, you know, uh, nowadays they've got digital controls on them, but early uh, fuel injection systems on vehicles, you know, deciding how much fuel to go in based on on data gathered from the machine and the temperature and the density of the air and stuff. Those were analog computers. They were just basically sure. custom designed to do to take these multiple inputs and say this is how much fuel we need to put into the into the combustion chamber. Um, right. You know, and so that you know just to. You were saying that you know that they can't do, uh, or they're difficult to do more complex things. They're difficult to do multiple complex things because they're hard. You can't just write a program to redo it. You physically have to change circuits. Whereas yep. if, but if you've designed it, you know, it's a design once used many many times. If if you have a specific need for that computer, um, you know, and if that's the the solution you know, the right type of solution. In a lot of cases, like I said, today, the car computers can be programmed and redone because they're now digital, um, you know, and so that stuff is all, in fact, you know, aftermarket business companies go allow you to go and flash the the controls on your on your engine computer in order to goose it to get some more horsepower out of, horsepower out of it. Um, oh, you know. the hobbyists do it anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, regardless if you know what the, the you know the it may significantly reduce the uh, the lifespan of your cylinder heads and things like that but you know if you get a few more horsepower out of it then that's what you do right if that's if you're into that that's what you want to do you see uh, things like NASCAR actually had rules on you know you couldn't even use some custom components because they knew what people would use them oh yeah know? exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, they put plates over the air intake and stuff, saying you can only suck in air through a, a you know, a, a a hole of this diameter in order to, to uh, balance the playing field. I think. So. Yeah, no jet engines allowed in these races. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, analog computing—it's a very different world than what we generally think of as air quotes here a computer, um, but has lots of interesting applications. I just it it just. You know, when I saw the term, the title, it, it piqued my interest, and so I read the article and then sent it to you, knowing that you had had some uh, hands-on experience with something that is not something that most people come across. So, at least yeah. not these days. Um, yeah, and uh, and and as she points out, it says analog computing may be coming back, and uh, yeah, and uh, there's some motivation to do so in the optical areas. Yeah, some reason. Uh, yeah, I suspect what what you know the 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 term analog computing probably won't be used by the people involved in optical computing. They'll probably no, want to say optical computing because analog computing sounds old fashioned, right? So they probably won't use the term, but that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, where it's like, you know, different versions of our technology, our technology. take us and, and how they're used. So, yep. Cool. So, um, next up, um, oh, hey, I added something in. I don't know if you saw it, um, but I, I don't want to skip it. I um, added a, and I sent you a link to it. Apple yesterday released iOS or TV OS and HomePod OS sixteen point three point one. That yes, point that point one upgrade is a big deal. If you have moved to 16.2, which was the previous version of those two, they had not gotten the 16.3 up. Uh, uh, oh, I guess they had gotten it, but I hadn't even updated to 16.3. 16.3.1 solves a lot of issues, especially if you took advantage of the iOS 16 uh, architecture upgrade for HomeKit. Now, I don't know if you yeah. remember, but the, when, when, when they released iOS 16, you could optionally take advantage of a HomeKit architecture upgrade. And what that did was it allowed the hub, meaning your Apple TV or your HomePod, to pull all of your HomeKit devices and then keep a list of which devices are active on the HomePod so that when you then used your, your uh, Mac, iPhone, or iPad to use the HomeKit app, instead of it going out and polling all the devices, it would just poll the hub and say, what's active? And, uh, you know, if you've got a lot of home automation devices, that makes perfect sense. Except that when Apple released it, about a day and a half later, they had to pull it. And they released it like a week before, week or two before Christmas. They had to pull it from the release because it messed things up. And for those of us who had already used it, we were kind of screwed because there was no way to unuse it. There was no way to go back, and there was no fix until yesterday. And and it was not working well. Things didn't know. When you went to HomeKit, you, didn't, you never knew the status of any of your devices. Half of them worked or didn't work, and then they would work other times randomly. It didn't, there seemed to be no rhyme or reason as to what would working things that had been working for a long period of time. Like if you had a schedule set up for a light to come on at a certain time or to trigger off of a motion sensor didn't work or it might work or it wouldn't work, but it would work at the wrong time. It was just completely messed up and yesterday fixed it finally. So if you've had problems with HomeKit, especially if you used the, their uh, advanced architecture update, uh, it's finally fixed. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's good news. Yeah, I live in a house with a lot of home automation pieces. I like it. I have fun with it. I have door sensors that when you come in, turn on the lights in the hallway um, uh, for a few minutes and then shut them off. You know, you go into a master bedroom closet and the lights come on automatically for you uh, and go off when you leave. Uh, and all of that was not working. It was such a pain because uh, you get used to it. You know, you're reliant on it. And then it sort of kind of almost works sometimes. And it's been it's been a, a a painful six weeks waiting for them to fix this. And they said, you know, basically nothing. They told us nothing other than here's this great new thing that's going to solve a lot of problems. Oh, it didn't work. It messed everything up. It's much worse. And then nothing. Not even we'll get back to you or we're checking on it or you know. I think they uh, finally there was a an announcement from Apple when when one of the tech companies got a hold of them and said. You know what's the what's going on with? And they said we'll have a fix available soon, 
and that was you know a month ago so you know worst time to release something is right before the holidays when everybody's off that was probably a, a poor call on apple's part and if i was the people in charge of apple's software releases i would say never again you know it, it come December first. If we're not releasing, if we're not, if we haven't released it by December first, then we hold it until we're back from the holidays because that was dumb. Yeah. By the way, regarding these HomePods, uh, yeah, uh, I read one about the new HomePods that's out, and mm-hmm. I guess I didn't post it here, but basically it's the first one to make everything compatible with the HomePod via Matter. It's the first one to ship that way. The operating system updates uh, uh, work and make the uh, HomePod minis totally matter compatible as well. Oh, but not the old original ones. The old originals do not have a thread radio in them, so they are, by definition, not matter compatible. Oh, okay. But the mini has had a thread radio in it since it was released. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so so if you're on the latest software, your minis are are fully matter compatible now. Um, now that said, I only know of one. I know of two companies that said they're going to do it, and I think only one of them has actually shipped a matter compatible device, and that is Eve Home. I think their Eve Power plug is the the current version shipping is is shipping matter compatible now, but everything else. There's a lot of thread things out there. And in fact, I've got most of my house now with home stuff that works with thread radios. So you get much better battery life and much lower latency when they trigger. But, um, uh, and most of those, I believe, will be software upgradable to matter because that's, you know, thread is one of the, the key underlying technologies to make matter work the way everybody wants it to work, you know? Yeah. And that largely has to do with latency, uh, latency and power consumption. I know some of them went to like uh, low power Bluetooth, which I understand is supported by Matter. But with low power Bluetooth, there's just still a lot of latency. It's a slow radio. And so what happens is, is you know, you say turn on or, or it's triggered by a, you know, some other kind of activity and you wait. And sometimes, you know, a two or three or five second delay is significant yeah. you know, other times it's who cares but you know we're used to walking in flipping on a switch and seeing something happen immediately so if i walk in and flip a software switch i don't want to stand around waiting for it to happen yeah yeah well even with computers these days we expect things to be almost instantaneously so you really get i mean our patience is is uh, worn uh, thin over time, it's it, yeah. Patience used to be a virtue, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's we, funny because we talk about how fast things start, and you know, I mean, how how responsive and so much, so much faster our computers are now, right? Yes. I will bet you, if you sat down and started using paperclip on a Commodore sixty four, that you wouldn't be waiting any more or less time to move the cursor around than you are right now. Well, that was because they did simpler things. Yeah, but it's a word processor. It worked. It worked. It processed words. I was able to yep. select and highlight words and print and, you know, spell check and all that stuff worked. You just you don't have the apps available that tax the hardware like 
today's computers. That's the point I'm making, is, is that our computers get faster and faster, and the software just gets more and more complex. doesn't really add features that make it that much better to use. just gets more complex. And yep. so the end result is nothing really seems to get any faster. <laughs> you know, yeah. the perception to the end user is, okay, it works pretty much like the one before it worked. You know, now as as tech enthusiasts, we go, oh, but it's so much better. It does this and that, you know, and it does, oh, it runs with less energy and it's cooler. And it's, you know, it's, I mean, not cooler like, ooh, cool, but like it runs with less heat. Um <laughs> You know, which means you get more battery life and, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah. The average okay. buyer goes like, okay, I've got this amount to spend. What's the best computer for me to buy? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, I, I threw in an article regarding LG WebOS. And the reason I did is because I just bought a TV for Christmas that uh, yeah. has that OS in there. I hadn't even thought about the fact that, that really happy – for the Apple uh, people, if I were still in, an investor in Apple, I would love it because it's expanded the uh, the Apple Play and HomeKit over a hundred countries. Yeah, and I was really thinking in terms of you know the TV guys going to to lots of customers that Apple doesn't directly serve. You know. Yeah. Well, the Apple TV Plus app has been on uh, televisions now for about a year and a half. And so lots and lots of people have access to that that didn't have access to it before. You don't yeah. even have to have any Apple devices in order to get a subscription and watch Apple TV Plus shows because it's now available in lots of places. The thing that they've yeah. done a little bit more integrated than some of the, they being LG, than some of the other um, t television manufacturers is um, they have also uh, integrated AirPlay and Apple Music and now HomeKit in it as well. So that's interesting. And they say integrate HomeKit. I'm curious to see what that means. Does it mean they just have the HomeKit app there so that you can now, you know, turn on and off your lights and see cameras? I, I don't know what that means. You know, well, does it act no, as a HomeKit hub? It's it's an Apple TV with Apple TV apps. And you can load download uh, the Apple apps that you want to use with it, okay? And the place, the, 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 the one major thing it does not have are all of the things like photos and uh, music. It says music here, but uh, uh, I, did, I, I guess that's because that's all uh, Apple music. Uh, but, you know, personal music that I have. Right. You know, and you access also on Apple TV. That doesn't, you can't get that through Apple Music. This is just Apple Music. Well, you can if you pay Apple. In other words, not if you. Through the, not through WebOS. Well, and that's why I wanted to clarify because you said it's an Apple TV. It's not an Apple TV because you cannot download Apple TV apps on it. It's a WebOS TV that has several Apple TV apps on it. But it doesn't have access to all of the Apple TV apps. Uh, I think that it allows me to download and, and upgrade those apps. It'll, it allows you to run the four apps that it mentioned that are Apple-branded Apple, Apple branded apps. That's the Apple TV Plus app, the Apple Music app. Uh, AirPlay is not an app, but it's a technology that allows you to like send video from your 
uh, laptop or your phone to the television and vice versa or music. Uh, and then uh, HomeKit. And what it doesn't say is, you know, or at least I didn't see a clear indication is, what does and HomeKit mean? Oh, well, uh, I, I'm not a HomeKit user, so I've never turned it on. But yeah. I love the play being directly there because it's a lot less hassle. Well, let's let's put it this way. First of all, on my TV, I can hold down a number or, or program a number to bring up a certain type of feature on my TV. And I have two of them for Apple TV. One to use the Apple TV built into the the LG TV set, and the other one to use my plug-in, which comes through a USB port. Okay. What do you mean and your plug-in through a USB port? My, I have a, a external Apple TV plugged in to my television. Through an HDMI port. Through a, yeah, an HDMI port. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. can you so you can run the Apple TV Plus app on the television or through the Apple TV box sitting next to the television. Right, but it's if it's a feature on the television, it's much much handier to use directly through the TV. Okay, and for me, the big one there is when I want to airplay something to the Apple TV, it pops up as, and I get two choices. I can go through the my external Apple TV, and I can go mm-hmm. through the other one. Right, but it works a lot better and faster. If I go through the airplay on the TV, right. I will say that this is this article implies something that is not accurate. In in Mac Daily News's note at the bottom, it says AirPlay and HomeKit only available on LG OLED TVs and UHD TVs with Web OS Hub 2.0. Okay, that's for LG branded TVs. AirPlay is available. I don't know about HomeKit because I don't know what they mean by that, and they don't define it here. But uh, AirPlay is available on other branded TVs from other manufacturers. I have two TVs in my house that are AirPlay compatible. One is LG and one of them is, uh, I can't see the brand on it. It's uh, TCL. And so I can AirPlay to two different television sets. Uh, They're they're not LG TVs. One of them is LG and one of them is TCL. I have an LG TV with WebOS in my living room. That's my main television and has been for a year and a half. It's a UHD TV. It doesn't have to be OLED if it's a UHD. Yeah. And and UHD meaning 4K because that's what ultra high definition is. That's what LG calls their 4K TVs is ultra high def as opposed to the high def, which is 1080p. Oh. So. Um, and it says with WebOS Hub 2.0, and I don't honestly, I don't know if my TV has WebOS Hub 2.0, but I know I can AirPlay to it, so you know. Okay, well, so anyway, yeah, and and, and I am, go ahead the license to the LG and other TV makers, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. they knew they were gonna get uh, a lot of other country uh, access to it, right. Yeah, and and uh, the I haven't checked on on the TCL TV. It's a Roku TV, so I have access to Apple TV Plus directly on it as well. Um, and 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 I know I have it on the LG. 
I find, and I've I've talked about this before. I find that the quality of the stream is better running through the external Apple TV box than using the Apple TV Plus app on the native environment of the television. Yeah, probably because it doesn't have enough memory. Yeah, I, I really think it has to do with buffering. Now that said, I do have a newer Apple TV than you do that supports 4K. So if I were in your case, I would then watch it directly off the TV because then I can see the screen in 4K because your Apple TV is an older one that only supports 1080p, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got this beautiful 4K TV. You certainly don't want to watch a 1080p screen, you know, when right. you have when you have literally built in the option to watch the same thing in 4K. There's no reason to do that unless there was a problem with it. Yeah. And I would say probably LG seems to be pretty responsive as a company. I would bet, because you've got a newer television than I do, and a, certainly you've got a higher-end one than I've got, that that the processor that's in there and the amount of memory that's in there is probably better than what it has been in the past so that it buffers the stream better and processes the image faster. You know, it's not... I think that when they first started making uh, smart TVs, whether it be LG or Samsung or whomever... Um, that they put the bare minimum of processing power in them. They tried to, even in the high-end ones, that was, you know, the, a cheaper processor and, you know, well, bare, bare, bare minimum to get by because it wasn't really their thing. And I think what they're learning is is that's what users want, is televisions yeah, that allow them I, to stream. TV I replaced was one of the first smart, so-called smart TVs. Right. And it was a piece of crap. I knew yeah. that from the get-go. Yeah. I never never used the smart features of it at all yeah and my feeling is I, I i know they've gotten better but i still tend to prefer the external apple box to the um to the uh other one the one, the one thing that i have done is i went in and plugged in my apple tv on my lg there's a specific port that is the um uh what do they do it uh it's the i forget the initials it's like CD control something. There's a, it's an HDMI CEC control something. I can't, there's a, there's this initial C something that uh, on, usually on one HDMI port that allows you to, to remotely control the television power and volume and stuff. And then I went to the television and said, send my audio out through that HDMI port. And now I use my home pods for the sound out of my television, whether I'm using Apple TV or not. So the TV sends it back out to the Apple TV and out to my home pods, even when I'm watching non Apple TV stuff. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what that those letters mean. I, I and for the life I'm, of me, I can't remember what the heck they are called either. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. Well, anyway, the reason I put this in here was just because that's mm -hmm. uh, that's a feature that's that I got because I, I bought a new TV and and I mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, well, if if I put on my hat back when I was an Apple investor, I would have said, yeah, way to go. <laughs> that's yeah, good. well, and isn't it? It's it's a little out of character for Apple, isn't it? Because being a hardware company, hardware manufacturer company. Um, they've been resistant to putting access to their stuff on other people's hardware. Oh yeah. Historically. And so them allowing 
their their streaming app and their uh, uh, streaming technology and stuff to run. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, well, couldn't I quite get my sneeze button there. Unless, it'll, unless it gave you the same quality that they could get through the uh, their 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 own box. Yeah. They they did a trade off and said it's worth getting into these other countries and not but we don't want to support those directly because the costs of doing so aren't worth it to us. Yeah. You know, just a lot of little countries around the country or the world. Yeah, countries around the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're right. But there there's lots of places out there that, that they don't want to have to have a support structure infrastructure for. And right. um and I think also they realize that that while there are people who are Apple uh, enthusiasts and like their products, there are a bunch of people who are never going to buy. Excuse me, I'm sneezing like crazy here. I'm having an allergy issue. Um, that are never going to buy an Apple TV, especially at the price point that even the the new one that they've discounted, they're not going to spend a hundred dollars for a streaming box when they've got something built into their television. And so, what? if they want to grow Apple TV Plus as a service, they need to make it available on other streaming devices. And so well, they cu- they cut a deal with with Amazon and Google, who both make streaming boxes, and Roku, uh, and a lot of TV manufacturers, and said, "Hey, you guys want to put this on there?" Uh, go for it. And quite frankly, uh, if you look at the content that Apple has put out on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, they are a high-end quality streaming service at this point. They're putting out stuff that's as good and better than than many. Yeah, well, uh, there was an article, a uh, recent article, regarding the Apple TV services uh, set new all-time records just recently. Right. And so... That's how. That's what's leading, uh, helping do that. Well, yeah. Well, Apple, because of the way Apple reports stuff, you know, services is is a broad umbrella at at Apple, and they don't break it out for you. So services well, it, includes subscriptions to things like Apple TV Plus. It also includes subscriptions to iCloud. It uh, and, and Apple Music. It's um, there's just a a broad range of stuff, and so you don't know which one's which and what's what in these air quotes here, services category, but they've definitely been working to expand the footprint of Apple TV Plus so that you can get it in lots of places. Yep. And uh, and I will tell you, there are, is a, a you know, dozen or so shows that on, on Apple TV Plus that I look forward to the, the, the next season coming out because they're that good. They're really yeah, enjoyable. Well, yeah, they're getting... They're getting a reputation, and that helps sell it, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, if if you've got the hot show, I mean, the one that that caught a lot of news last year was Ted Lasso, and they're on their last season of that. Um, you know, that has yet to come out, but there's a lot of people who I'm sure went and got Apple TV Plus just so they could watch Ted Lasso and see what all the hoopla is about. And if you think about it, it costs. I watched, I, I watched it and wasn't impressed. Oh, really? <laughs> see, I thought it, I like it. I think it's cute. Um, it is, you know, Apple TV plus costs a third of what net, uh, a Netflix subscription costs. And while Apple, Apple's expanding accessibility to Apple TV plus Netflix is telling their people, we're going to crack down on any of you. If you've shared your password with somebody, we're going to, uh, we're going to shut off access and we're going to, you know, charge you extra if you want to share your password with a, you know, a family member. If you've got, if you, if you happen to live a nomad lifestyle, like when you were traveling around 
uh, you wouldn't be able to have Netflix anymore because you'd be on a different set of IP addresses every time you logged in, you know, every time you picked up and moved, and they'd be shutting you off, going, well, you're not reaching us from the, from the air quotes, home hub anymore. Um, or if you've got kids who are in college, right, they're yep. family members, but they're at school for part of the year, you know, they would get cut off because, hey, you're not accessing from the, the home IP address. Right. You know, and these are things that a lot of people are going like, look, I'm not trying to cheat anybody. This is my kid. You know, he's away at college. I just want him to be able to watch the show that we've watched as a family. Watch, and, watch it on one of your devices then, right? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, they're going to say you have to buy another subscription for this separate person because they're not living under your roof. And apparently um, there was a lot of stink about it because they just recently uh, a Web page was found on Netflix site that listed, you know, how they were going to do this. And, and you had you had every 31. If you had a device that was accessing your account, it needed to access the account from the home IP address at least once every 31 days. And if it didn't, it would be cut off. Wow. And so Netflix caught a lot of flack and they came out and said that was not a page that was supposed to be made public. That was an error. We're not planning on doing anything with it right now. Wink, wink. Uh, of course, they're now doing this in some countries and they've been testing it in some in, in some smaller countries. Um, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to crack down on it. They seem to think that they're losing millions of dollars because we're all sharing our Netflix passwords. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to say when it comes to my passwords for for like streaming services, I keep getting little warnings saying, you know, hey, be careful. You're using the same password over again. And sure, you don't want to change your password. And It's like, no, I don't care if somebody hacks into my password. I don't care. That's not an important thing to me. You know, I care about the password to my bank account. I care about you you to protect them. (laughs) Yeah. But but the password to my streaming as I don't care. You know, if I could use password one, two, three, I would, but they block you from doing that. You know, yeah. it's like I, I, in fact, the fact that I have to put in a password bothers me. You know, I'm paying you for the service and I, and I you know, and I'm not trying to cheat anybody, but come on, you're making yeah, my life they, harder. They don't, they, they don't, there's no other good way to do business. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand it from their perspective. They feel like there's a lot of people out there who are watching their services and not paying for them because they're using somebody else's password. I get it, you know, and but, I, you know, there's got to be a, a user friendly way of doing that without making the, you know, without upsetting and getting in the way of and encumbering those of us who aren't cheating them. Yep. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That's going to be an ongoing thing, you know, because they're getting more and more pressure to show, you know, revenue gains. And so one of the things they've decided is, hey, we've got a lot of loss that we can get back and show revenue gains by forcing people to subscribe. I think what they don't anticipate is there's a bunch of people who are going to go, you know what? It's just not worth it. I mean, frankly, I was talking to my family about this when it comes to Netflix in particular. There's almost nothing on Netflix that I watch. I would be happy to shut it off. And it literally costs more than any other streaming service that I have, including some combined ones that give me several different things to watch. It's very expensive. It's like $25 a month just for Netflix. And I don't watch anything on it. But I was immediately told by family members, nope, nope, nope. There's some things we watch. (laughs) 
to which I'm about ready to respond, then you pay for the service. If you, if you watch it, then you buy it. Because I don't, and I don't want to pay for it anymore. Yeah, well, that's the answer. Every the time answer. I've ever had a conversation like that. My wife, my wife interjects. Freebies from dad. Well, my wife, my wife interjects and says, "Now, come on. Now, what else can I get dad to pay for?" Yeah, she's like, "I want it." She'll say, "She'll say she wants it." Like, sure you do. Sure you do. Uh, Yeah, they tug at our heartstrings all the time, Tom. I know. (laughs) I know. I, you know, on Apple, you can go to. your iCloud section on your phone, or I presume on your on your uh, com- your laptop and stuff as well, and you can see your subscriptions, right? Everything you're subscribing to for, from Apple, and and I go look at that, and it's like I'm subscribing to Spotify. I don't use Spotify at all. My daughters mm-hmm. use Spotify, so I am subsidizing their ability to listen to music. Um, you know, and they're adults with jobs, but I'm still paying for their music. Uh, the, uh, still paying for the cell phone service, still, um, the, that they're still on the family plan on the cell phone service. The, um, the, uh, other one that there's a, uh, an app that like summarizes the news and gives you like a news thing, you know, and, and I pay for that. It's like, I don't use that app. I never read that, the news there. (laughs) Like, why am I paying for this? You know, I said, hey, guys, I'm going to shut this off. No, no, no. We use that. That's how I read. That's how I get the news. Like, you well. You shouldn't print it out. You just cut it off. Yeah, see if anybody complains. If you really want it, it's only so much a month, right? Yeah. The one I love I get is, like, uh, I have a problem with that. That's what I'm told. It's like, I have a problem with that. I'm going, I don't. <laughs> so what? If you have a problem with that, you've got a checkbook. So, yeah. Got a problem with that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, anyway. in, in the scheme of things, it's not that much. You know, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't want to pick a fight with my family. The dollar amounts aren't so huge that it's like, you know, like that news app. I think it's $20 a year or something like that. It's like, eh, all right, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I like to give them a hard time about it every once in a while. Because I go through and review that every so often, you know, like, what am I subscribing to? So I go through that on that thing. And I'm like, oh. And what's nice with Apple, too, is if you, if, you, if you subscribe to something for like a year, you can go in and cancel it. And it'll, it'll still be active until the end of that year. And then you'll get a little notification saying, hey, this is about to expire. And you can then decide whether or not you want to pay for it again. So I do that with almost all my subscriptions now. When I subscribe for something, I go in like a couple days later and cancel it. And that way, then it'll automatic. It won't automatically renew. It'll just die on the vine, unless I actively renew it. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, one of the yeah. titles I posted just purely on the on the title itself. I didn't even read the article. Apple iPhone dominates smartphone market with 85% profit share. And I said to myself, Well, even if you're an investor. You you got to do some manipulation to figure out what their real profit share is just on the iPhone. You know they don't tell you that. That's company secret stuff because they got competition and they don't want that kind of information out there. I don't understand and, what you're saying. What do you mean? 
the actual profit that you make on a specific item is is a company. Oh, right. Helps. Well, pro- profit share versus profit are two different things. Yeah. They're not telling you how much they profit on the sale of a an iPhone 14 Pro, right? We have no idea. But but anytime you put the word profit there, even profit share is based right. on profit. Exactly. It's calculated off of that, which means that somebody's guessing. It's a, that's right. It's a guessing game. Yeah. That's my point. Right. Yeah. Well, the other the thing that came to my mind uh, was, you know, that's the, they say, you know, iPhone sets 85% profit share. Well, what is their actual, like, unit sales? So, like, I want to know the comparison between the two. If if they're making 85% of the profit in that market, in that market, how many are they selling? Because they're not they're not outselling Android, right? So well, An- Android is selling more phones, but but only getting fifteen percent of the profit. Well, they just said forty forty eight percent of the revenue from smart sales. Okay, so of all smartphone sales, forty eight percent of the revenue somehow they determined that was Apple. What's right? the difference between profit share and? 85% of operating profit and 40% of the revenue. What's the difference between operating profit and revenue? Oh, well, that's, that's how much. Is the, the revenue is post-cost? Yes, that's, that's the whole, that's, uh-huh. that's, that's right? what you sold. That's, that's, how, that's the sum total of sales. So they're saying about 35% of the revenue is the, is the cost of making the phones? Well, I haven't sat down with the numbers, but I'm just saying those are the only th- things in the article that they do say that uh, you know about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 other the other interesting thing about the article is is that Mac Daily News then talks about how well they are positioned to, uh, as opposed to their competitors, to get through uh, inflationary and recession times. You know, from an investors mm-hmm. perspective right right yeah so well and that's the other thing you have to look at this and say you know who who wants this who who would take any action based on this kind of information and it's going to be investors right that's who cares about this right um yeah you know and and you know whether they are you know making money hand over fist or or you know or quarter over quarter or whatever you know quarter years profit well, from the same quarter previous year or something like that is is important to an investor to a guy Mac buying Daily, a phone i don't care mac daily news guys are heavily invested in apple okay and so they're always on the optimistic side of how good apple is doing and so i don't think that i think that 85 percent is a stretch on the upside uh, it's probably not that because of who's telling the story in the investment market, you always have to understand who and and what are the motivations of people publishing articles because there's yeah. probably people trying to get you to buy shares and others trying to get you to sell shares. Yeah, you know, I that's why one thing I do appreciate from um, uh, some news or podcasting corners will be upfront and tell you that you know. I do not own any technology stocks because I talk about technology and I don't want to be ever tempted to be biased to benefit myself. 
Yeah, you know? but but that's part of the game in the investing business, you know. Sure. Is, is to know what's what's truth and what's not, because otherwise you you're you know you're betting money on this stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're right, and 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 there's no doubt about it. The the people at Mac Daily News are are very pro Apple. <laughs> <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, whether they're invested. I mean, I've never seen anything on here saying that they are or are not personally invested, you know, or the people behind this are invested because they've got different different articles written by different people. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know who the individuals are that are involved and whether whether or not they are invested in Apple. But uh, well, well, back, uh, it wouldn't surprise back, me if they were because they're certainly pro-Apple in terms of their, their – uh, I have never seen anything but stretching the truth for Apple's success uh, on their sites. Yeah. And, and and take that from me when I was an investor. If they've changed their tune, I'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, even if they're not a, a, a cash investor in Apple in the stock market, they are a mm-hmm. business that has invested in Apple as a news source, right? So yep. their business relies on Apple being there and doing things. So they're they have a vested interest in Apple. That's right. You yep. know, hands when, down. When you have Mac Daily is is in your title, you know. Yeah, Mac Daily News is definitely a uh, an Apple oriented place. You know, I mean, like Mac Rumors. You know, another place that we get information from. Uh, you know, they're sure. definitely uh, have a vested interest in in the Mac infrastructure or the Apple infrastructure and how they work and what they do and don't do. And, and, so. and I, I've always enjoyed reading them because they're a source for lots of other information, uh, technical as well, you know, so there's, uh, Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, and, uh, Mac rumors in particular, more so I think than Mac daily news often has things about that, that are going on in the industry that might affect Apple that aren't necessarily Apple news. So they talk about competitors and about other things as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a different perspective. They're they're looking into the future and saying what's more the technologies mm-hmm. and stuff that are being uh, moved along, you know, potential applications in the future or something, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I, that's the whole reason that I put that one up here, just because I thought it was interesting to talk about. Yeah. Next gen CarPlay. Apple announced this at WDC, WWDC last year, the year before. It was last year. And they said that they had some deals with some manufacturers, but they have not yet said who. Um, but apparently it's getting closer to actually being in a car somewhere. But they still That's haven't funny. said. I, I, I who. can't imagine them talking very much about this if it's coming out later this year without having somebody on board. Yeah. Already. Well, when they first announced it, they said they already had agreements in place with some car manufacturers, plural. Now, you know, but they didn't mention who because they're not ready to do that. So who is that going to be? It's an interesting thing because one of the things they talked about when they introduced it was that the interface would be customizable by the manufacturer. And yet, uh, uh, you know, that then is something that means Apple is sort of seeding the user experience to the car manufacturer that also seems out of character for them but then you know they're letting their software run on other people's devices so we'll see how this 
how this plays out. I mean, CarPlay essentially is that, right? It's letting a an interface that they've designed work on somebody else's hardware. And it's worked pretty well for the most part. I like CarPlay. Um, I will say, and I, I'll reiterate, there are some idiot manufacturers at some idiot car companies who don't know how to use an interface that was designed by people who design interfaces and insist on doing stupid things like saying the touch interface is no longer touch. You have to use a knob to highlight things and select them. I think that is, you know, and and if those are the bozos who are going to now put CarPlay in more integrated into their vehicle, God help us. But, but that said, you know, I know. Yeah. Todd, tell us what you really think. I often like to to go through and peruse the uh, comments that people make. And Mm -hmm. one of them here. I says, I'd move to Cuba just for the cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She likes old cars. The yeah. one is not crap in my cars, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, it's funny because I just read an article yesterday in some other magazine. They were talking about, uh, it was actually a Jalopnik article, which is a car website. And they were talking about how, uh, you know, the the idea of an old car is much better than an old car that they yeah. got an opportunity to drive around in somebody's 65 Mustang that was fully restored. And he said it was a piece of junk. It, uh, you know, it, it, it leans way over in corners. It's terrible at cornering. It goes straight. Okay. It's underpowered by today's standards. The air conditioning doesn't really work. The, you know, even though it's all working, it doesn't work like today's air conditioners work. He says, I would never own a, uh, 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 an old vehicle, unless it was a full uh, resto mod, which means modified to be, you know, updated engines yep. and internals and stuff, which a lot of people do. You know, some people think that's blasphemy to take an old classic car and, and update everything. But but I understand where he's coming from. He says, I would never, ever, ever consider owning anything that was maybe older than the 90s. Because <laughs> at least in the 90s, we all had air conditioners that worked and radios that weren't insane and, you know. Again, unless you use CarPlay in a Mazda, in which case then, bless you. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm with him. I, I like the idea of old cars, but the old car itself, the experience of riding in it and driving in it, it they're not yeah. as comfortable. They're not as quiet. They, they don't handle as well. I mean, a Honda <laughs> Civic handles better than a, than a sports car from 1960, you know? I- I, I I remember the era of cars when that had the interior feel and comfort on the things were hardly even a consideration. Man, yeah. does this thing get, does this thing get you down the road or not? And that's all you really cared for. Especially if you lived in a muddy road, can it as the fenders wide enough so they don't get stuffed with mud right away? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, you know, different needs, right? You live in so that I, situation I, today, I, you'd I, say, I want a four-wheel drive. That's just the way it was, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it had to go down the roads that the tractors went down because that's what we had, you know? Sure. Sure. So. You know? But, I mean, like I said, today you would buy a four-wheel drive for that, you know? A yep. four-wheel drive truck or at least a a, a hardy SUV. The uh, And I say hardy because what we call SUVs today, a lot of them are just road cars that have been kind of propped up. A but, Jeep Wrangler with with fenders that really aren't, you know, uh, close bit, to the wheel. Yeah, you know? <laughs> the fenders that are barely there, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I've got a, uh, a you know four wheel drive little Ford um, Ranger that uh, it's a hardy little vehicle. You pretty much put it in, in you know, and it's and it's a true four wheel drive. I can put it in you know high or low ratio on the four wheel drive. You put that thing in low ratio, and you're not going to go fast, but you'll pretty much go up and over anything. Yep. You know, um, it's 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 a it's a hearty little hearty little car or truck, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I think that CarPlay. We'll, we'll see how it's implemented. That's my thing. I really like CarPlay, and and taking you know letting Apple control more of the um, infotainment system within a vehicle as sort of the default. I I don't see a problem with that if the manufacturers don't mess it up. But Apple has been loose enough in their licensing to let manufacturers mess up CarPlay as it currently exists. So I can't imagine what kind of horror they can present to us later. And as one of the people in the notes said, you know, I've got several cars that have electronic screens that are completely unusable in bright sunlight. If yeah. that's if that's my entire dashboard, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, uh, I... I don't think this is going to be successful. And the reason I don't is that personally, my use of CarPlay is for the navigation system that's built into mm-hmm. the Apple iPhone. Yeah. And, and uh, other than that, I don't even use uh, the Apple Music on there, even though it's there, uh, except if I'm a, on a long trip, which is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So I just use I, I just want something that's local and current. So I always have it tuned to Fox News. I don't think it's ever been on another station, and and I've had this thing for five years. That's what's on the station. And I don't change stations unless for some reason that one's not working for you know what at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's pretty pretty minimal what I use CarPlay for, but I I want it there because I want that screen in a nice visible location and it, it is it's centered there and it's pretty large that would the size of the screen mattered to me i would have rather had it with a bigger screen but it just didn't wasn't on that car that i wanted to buy so yeah uh, anyway. well when you bought your car and it wasn't that long ago but when you bought your car you there was still some debate about or not even debate but there were the carplay Candidate cars that had Apple Play. Right. That That's yeah. All. There was a handful of cars that you had to pick from if you wanted Apple Play, and you were you were adamant that you wanted Apple Play or CarPlay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I you know I get that. You know uh, I don't know that you're necessarily the typical user of CarPlay though. I mean you know everybody uses it a little differently. I personally get in and uh, have it on that little combo screen most of the time. And uh, I'm either playing music and or a pod or not and but uh, or a podcast along with having the map up. Um, so I've got, you know, that split screen yeah. where that dual b- a bit of information. And even if I'm going somewhere that I know where I'm going, I put the map up because it gives me an ETA based on traffic. Uh, and I live in Southern California. Traffic's an issue for me. You know, exactly. Any time you're in a city area, have the dang map up there yeah. because want to know what's out outside of your view yeah that's coming down the road at the other end i mean is it all jammed up because there's an accident or right. stuff you know was it you i was talking with the other day were saying that the, the, you know los angeles has like 10 los angeles county has 10 million people 
and that's bigger than like 27 states. Like the entire state of North Carolina is just marginally larger than that. So when you guys complain about traffic, I don't want to hear it. We've got seven-lane freeways going in and out bumper to bumper. That's traffic. You know, I I used to commute. I used to commute two and a half hours to Los Angeles to work every day. That was each direction. I spent five hours a day in a car. That's that's traffic. You know, and the rest of the country, I don't think quite gets that. (laughs) You know, well, I I know you did that. I always refused to do that. I lived in an outlying area, right? uh, So I could stay. Stay off the freeway. Right. Uh, well, I lived in an outlying area, and for two years I commuted in, you know, and I did it. I was paid well to do it, but it it was certainly not a lifelong ambition, let me tell you. Um, yeah. Especially when I was driving the, you know, V8 Porsche 928 with a clutch. Um, I would get to work, and for the first hour, my, my clutch pedal foot, the toes on my uh, were, were numb. I just pushed all the blood out of them. And I'm not joking. I mean, I literally wouldn't, I couldn't feel my toes for, for about an hour. Um, you know, so it was a big deal when I, when I finally switched and got that, uh, infinity that I used to drive because, uh, <laughs> automatic transmissions. Yay. But, uh, anyhow, car stuff, go figure. But yep. I'm a fan of car play, but I'm with you. I have a feeling that this sort of, Next-gen CarPlay that sort of takes over all of the interface to you and your vehicle, I have my doubts about how well that's going to work. And I really have doubts about how well any car manufacturer is going to implement it. I really do. You know, we'll we'll see how much, you know, how much Apple controls that versus giving a set of tools to the manufacturer who then goes in and figures out how to mess it up for us users. My thought is is that nobody is going to even consider them unless they are really going to help them some way in this business of of uh, auto steering, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and maybe that's the next step, and that's the carrot that they're dangling to the car manufacturers is, hey, we've got some, some solutions coming down the road for you that, that, you know, if you take this now, you're setting yourself up for, for to be ahead of your competition later. Of course, yeah, I see these ads now on TV to sell their trucks. At least GM, I think it is. It's got a commercial that comes up pretty often, uh, where the guys are beating their uh, using the, the steering wheel as a drum drum head. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing to do there, but they're enjoying the music. Uh, but they're clearly not driving, and uh, you know, and and mm-hmm. I'm I'm still worried about people taken too much uh, uh, belief in the in the system at this early stage in the game. I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. going to be safe in the long term, yeah. but not right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, and, and I blame a lot of that on Elon Musk just for his stupid marketing term, you know? I mean, he was selling something he was calling full self-driving, which clearly was not. And people yeah. were, you know, buying it with the assumption that, hey, I've got full self-driving. I don't have to drive anymore, you know, and, and killing themselves and others because of it. Uh, yeah. You know, um, so anyway, I, I don't go, get out on the road, so I'm not at much risk for that. That doesn't mean they can't get me, but yeah, it all takes once, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the final thing that I threw up here to maybe talk about a little bit is, uh, uh talking about using the focus mm-hmm. filters email. Yeah. Uh, and the box. And I have big inbox full of crap, and I hardly use my email anymore because it's just so clogged with crap. 
Right. And so definitely going to go and, and try to apply this and see how well it works. And then I'll report back later. Mm-hmm. But it was just something that popped up. And I said, hmm, that they're selling it now uh, as being helpful and it sounded good. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, to- it'll be interesting to see how that goes for you. I actually switched um, to using, in fact, I pay annually to use a service uh, uh, called Hey, H-E-Y dot com. And so I, I have I- an email at Hey because they have sort of this kind of focus stuff just built into the way the op- it works. And then I take my email from other sources and forward it there. And, yeah. and it immediately... Tells and when you get a new email from a source, you can say, I don't want any more email from them, or yes, put that one in my inbox. Or you have two other options one of them is like an audit trail, and one is sort of like, uh, which is like any kind of receipts or anything like that that you get from places regularly. And the other one is uh, designed for like newsletters and things like that, so you can go back and read them at your leisure. And so when you get the first email from somebody, then you just determine which of these buckets it goes into, and it automatically goes there. And it's been yep. really, really good at filtering out garbage for me. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm hopeful that this will put things into buckets that, uh, that I care for and the rest of it, uh, tr- you know, just get mm-hmm. it out of my don't, – don't show it to me. I don't want to know it's there. Right. Yeah, I think those sets of buckets are pretty good. Now that I've used Hay for a while, I could probably go in and set up any email client to do that, you know, uh, and say anything, you know, here, here's the I don't ever want to see something from them again. This is junk. Uh, this one is, you know, something I, I want, but it's it's I can read it later. And then this one has, you know, it's a receipt from from, you know, an airline or a whatever. So move all the receipts to this this bucket. And and then what's left over is the stuff that I actually want to take a look at, and uh, and that seems to work pretty well. But, so you know I'll have to do some thinking about what kind of buckets I want to make, you know. But uh, yeah, some are pretty obvious, you know. Yeah, well, and and to be honest, that's what was attractive about the hey email for me was that um, somebody had already given it that thought and set it up, so it wasn't hard for me to just get in and start using. I didn't have to go in and set up any kind of filters or, or, or functions on my system. And it just, I was lazy, you know, but I think uh, most, that's why we have these things. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, cause most email clients allow you to do some sort of, you know, filtering of stuff and putting it into folders. And I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to spend the time trying to figure out, well, what's the right structure for that. Now that I've been dealing with one that was pre-existing, I kind of know it. I could probably go back and do it and save myself the annual subscription. But, you know, I'm there now. So, yep. <laughs> so. Well, I looked at Hay and I don't know, what, just did, at, the po- at that point decided I didn't really want to do it. So Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's not particularly cheap. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's about $100 a year. Um, mm-hmm. But it has worked really well for me. And so... Uh, you know, kind of gave me back email because up to that point I was like, I was sort of like you were saying, I just pretty much didn't answer emails uh, that that came in because they were just, I was so inundated with garbage that it, it was too much of a chore to sit down every day and, and even just browse through the list and say, nope, 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 nope. Oh, there's one I think I want, you know, or accidentally clicking on the one you think you want and then figure out, well, where the crap did it go now? When I clicked on it, which folder is it in? How do I find it again? You know, yeah. that's that's well, the other thing. Here, just the other day, I got a, a mail from uh, a guy who's a, a treasurer of an organization that I 
belong to and, and want to continue. Uh, but he, I didn't respond to my email, a, the email he sent me. And uh, this is why he sent it through the real mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that's how bad it is, you know. I, yeah. I'm going to sort through that for just something, that, uh, an annual bill, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> just didn't see it. It was, it was you know, it was a, a, a whisper amongst the shouts, unfortunately. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that's sort of what email has become, which is too bad, you know. I will say that um, I do have a separate email account. It's, a, it's based, it's through Gmail, but it's for uh, the school that I work at. And that's much, much better in terms of the, I mean, I still get a ton of email in there, but most of that is just because of the policy of the school is to send out lots of emails. Um, I've tried to tell them that, you know, I understand you want to feel like you're communicating. You want your people to feel like they're being communicated to the parents and stuff. But at some point, nobody's reading all this stuff. And I've had multiple parents come to me and say the same thing. It's like, I go through and delete more than half the emails that are in there because they're just sort of like, you know, shout it from the from the top of the stairs to everybody so that, you, you know, they you can say you told them type of yeah. emails. And it's like, well, but that doesn't pertain to me. Most of it, 90% of it is. And the, the only fear I have is that something in there, there's going to be like one line in one email somewhere that did pertain to me. And they're going to say, well, we sent the email out. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, again, you, you know, it was a whisper amongst the shouts. I, I, how am I supposed to pick that out? I don't read that email, you know. I don't read those emails all the time you send them out because I get a dozen of them every day, you yeah. know, and I don't, I don't work on campus and I get all the emails about the second floor right. copy machine is not working. The second floor copy machine is working now. Hey, there's some free food available in the downstairs lunchroom. And I'm like, I don't care. Can I not be on that list, please? But, yeah, you know, but if they take me off that list, someday there's going to be something that they send to that list thinking that everybody got it and I'm not going to get it because I'm not on the list. So I put up with yep. the, you know, hey, there's some leftover pizza in the in the conference room emails, uh, you know, yeah. so that I so that I can get that important email. <laughs> now, what's so important? I don't know. It hasn't come yet, but someday it might. By the way, uh, just prior to the current technology uh, stuff, we talked about here i sent you a piano technology if you want to call it that uh, article that oh yeah um on uh yuga wang yuja yeah. she's phenomenal what, isn't that um, i've been listening to her on several other songs yeah uh, some of them very very long because a lot of this classical stuff oh sure going on. anyway yeah. uh she is a truly amazing yeah Yuja Wang, it's spelled W-A-N-G like Wang, uh, Y-U-J-A-W-A-N-G. If you go and Google her on YouTube, there is just tons of video of her playing all kinds of pieces. She's a classical pianist, and she is so, um, you know, it's like she plays the the slower stuff with lots of, of character and grace and beauty. But boy, when she gets into some more of the complex stuff, her hands oh. just become a blur. And she just hits it perfectly. She plays so well. She's she's just un- amazing. That's the only way to put it. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's like 30, like 30 years old and or 30 something. And she's yeah. just phenomenal. You know, uh, as a kid, I grew up with a guy uh, named Liberace because he was oh, on yeah. TV. Yep. And he was a showman. But 
he isn't even close to being a user Wang, Wang or however you say it. Yeah. Uh, not, not even close. And, uh, this, uh, so I, I just, yeah, I've, I've seen lots of different, uh, uh, piano players over the years who, who have lots of talent and style in the way they do things. I've never seen anybody who can do the things she does. Yeah. Now he actually mentioned, I think two others in his, this little, uh, thing I sent to you. It wasn't just her, or maybe a, I don't know. Maybe I didn't send you the one that actually covered three, but I I think that this one at, toward the end mentioned yeah. two other people that uh, that he showed brief uh, pictures of their hands at yeah. work. I don't I don't she, know that it was in this video, but um, uh, it may have been another one. We're talking about Rick Beato. He's the um, he has a. Um, uh, YouTube channel that covers lots of different music. He's a, a, a music theorist and and producer and songwriter and musician, and he's really good at like taking piece of music and breaking it down and telling you you know the different chord changes and how this music was created technically. He is just a, a really good teacher in that respect, and he's one of the ones that uh, uh, is sharing. You know some of the stuff that Yu Wang does, and obviously she's on on has her own YouTube channel and lots of other stuff that's out there on her. But uh, that was sort of the source. That's the link that you had shared. Yeah, yeah. I find him amazingly uh, entertaining because he covers yeah. all kinds of different music, and he just he understands it at the really root level and breaks it down for you and explains, you know, what's going on and how how it goes from here to here to here. I don't know if you've ever watched the video that he has on, like, the, the most, uh, was it mo most complex pop song ever, I think is what it's titled or something like that, where he talks about when he was in college and this woman wanted to sing a song and she said, here, do this. And he and his buddy said, okay, you know, we'll sit down and figure it out and we'll come in with the chords. And then he realized when he started listening to the song that they don't, they don't duplicate the same chord changes ever in the entire song through the whole thing. Everything is slightly different. And, and it, he said it was the, you know, they slaughtered it the first time they did it, but he said, you know, as I've learned it, it's, and, and over the years I've, you know, looked at it, it's, it's just stunning. Um, he's real entertaining to listen to. One of his things earlier, and I can't recall what it was now, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, he's he was right on. He he really understands the stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, he does. In fact, part of what he does is he also sells a um, a what he, he calls it the Beato book, and it's a music theory textbook, and it's like five hundred page book that you can buy. Um, he says value ninety nine bucks. He usually sells it for fifty, and I'm, I think it's a PDF when you you can download it from him. But it takes you know. I mean, I haven't yeah. bought the Beato book, but let me tell you, if if you've listened to him talk about anything on YouTube, you kind of get the idea that it's like okay, um, he's a really really good teacher about this stuff. So my guess is is that he's probably yeah. uh, it's probably a great book if you're interested in music and music theory. Uh, you probably couldn't do much better. Yep. So, anyhow, uh, I uh, think I'd like to make it a, a pit stop time. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm there with you. Yeah, it's called The Most Complex Pop Song of All Time, um, oh. and it's like a 20-minute video. And if you haven't watched that one, it's really interesting as he goes through and breaks down this song that was written by Sergio Mendez. 
and and it sounds like a simple ballad. But then he starts going through how the chord changes happen in this thing, and he, it's just insane. It just keeps changing and changing again, and change. it never goes back to where it started in terms of the the the, the chords. It just it's it's impressive. So. Yeah. Um, and he's and and he's getting more and more puzzled as he goes through trying to explain this this song that just you know and it's a beautiful song so i i recommend that one so anyway let's call it a day thanks for joining us here on generation tech uh we'll be back again next week recording on tuesday which means that the audio is usually available wednesday or thursday at the latest thanks dad we'll see you later okay 